And now, proper propaganda. Watch it. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists, too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the border. You're just tuning in to Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Job. Big shout out to my man, Q Ward, who is all the way in Italy, he's probably in like Venice or Rome or yeah. some some other. I, I know there's a ton of cities in Italy. Italy. I yeah. can't think of any. Uh, what is it? Uh, Pisa. I've <laughs> only been Italy once. So yeah. Yeah. Tower of Pisa. Yeah, so I'm sure that's a city. Anyway, um, but uh, we do have a special guest in the studio with us today, Jacob Rayford, aka Rocky Tirade, uh, a good friend of mine and a very politically engaged individual, activist, MC a person that we're very proud of here on this show and a person who's really making uh, some changes and showing folks how to do it. So we're excited to continue our conversation uh, in just a little bit. Uh, stay tuned. We still have um, our way black history fact, which is about how black people were denied vanilla ice cream until the 4th of July. I didn't know this. And so uh, now I do, and you're going to know it too. Um, okay. That and so much more to stick around for, but first uh, and foremost, yeah, <laughs> Let's go just defiantly eat vanilla ice cream. Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> uh, but right now we're going to discuss BABA, Becoming a Better Ally, Baba. And today's Baba is sponsored by Unknown Union, the fashion house situated at the intersection of meaning, innovation, and culture. For more info, check unknownunion.com. And uh, today's Baba is reclaiming the term woke. I want to read a little bit. Mm. This is from WUSF News. Civil rights act advocates are pushing back against Governor Ron DeSantis's war on woke ideology. And part of that struggle is reclaiming the word. Quote, a lot of people are using the term stay woke because a lot of people fell asleep during the last election. (laughs) Uh, this comes from Reverend Don Tolliver, an associate pastor at Bethel Missionary Baptist Church in Tallahassee. The Stay Woke protest, which is a 15 city bus tour across Florida, wrapped up recently. The tour kicked off on Juneteenth in North Florida with stops in Jacksonville and Tallahassee, where a planned rally and press conference outside the state capitol was moved to Bethel. Um, about 50 out-of-state activists with the Transformative Justice Coalition, a nonprofit that advocates for racial justice, traveled on a bus across the state uh, recently to meet with local community organizers and speak out against recent policies affecting education, healthcare, and voting. Quote, isn't it amazing that they're telling y'all to don't be woke? Aren't you glad the Lord woke you up this morning? Don't you know we serve a woke Lord? Reverend R.B. Holmes of the Bethel Missionary Baptist Church told organizers gathered downstairs in a fellowship hall. He goes on to say, the opposite of woke is sleep. And once you start sleeping, you will give in to these policies. I think that's a fantastic way of yes. framing that position. Yes. I also want to shout out the NAACP, who has recently affirmed the use of woke and is actively reclaiming it, um, yes. not allowing it to fall um, into the hands of the opposition. And so, woke. Can't even define Stay woke, y'all. Who can't even define woke? Thank you, Ross. All right. right, So back to the man of the hour, uh, Rocky Tirade, a.k.a. Jacob Rayford. Um, We were talking about being uh, politically engaged and uh, we were using kind of your story as an example. Um, You mentioned uh, the ACLU and working with the ACLU. So um, I definitely want to lean into that. Uh, first, I want to talk about. Oh, a- can, 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 if you don't mind, yeah, I, please go ahead. Um, I do want to say real quick before before we stray away from the politics stuff. Um, it is important 
if you can just take some time to Google after watching this episode, what a precinct committee person is, um, that will be the pathway to you being involved in political activities within your community. If you are upset, if you are tired of things going on in a way that you feel don't represent your community, if you're looking for a way to express yourself and you're still kind of, you know, not necessarily intimidated, but like, you know, self-conscious about being involved in political spaces, Google that and Google your immediate legislative district. If you don't know that, just Google what is my legislative district. You will pull up that information. Just Google your legislative district. Google PC. You will be directed to your legislative district. Email those people. Tell them who you are, the community that you come from, how long you've lived there, and that you'd like to be involved. And I can guarantee you, for whatever which reason, they are going to reach out and they're going to bring you into that fold and you are going to be politically empowered and be able to represent your communities in this upcoming election and beyond. So before we go into any other things, I do want to express that. So, okay. Well, the man knows what he's talking about. Um, and I think that's a great segue into where I was going next. So, um, as a result of your engagement, um, you have recently been appointed by the governor or the yeah. go- governor to the commission for appellate court. So, so you, you yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, the, the commission on the appellate court appointments. So that's okay, like appellate. The, sorry, I don't, yeah, yo, yeah, don't, see, don't worry. So I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. So when I first found out, I did the same thing because again, there's certain types of information that that's uh, is outside of you know just our day to day lives. I mean, who who is going to be involved in the judicial process? Like we all have schools and you know family and work and various day to day tasks that take us away from this. But yeah, I was appointed to the commission on appellate court um, uh, appointments. So basically, what that is is um, this is the body, and because different states have different systems for appointing their judges and whatnot. But this is uh, for the state of Arizona. What they do is um, for most of their judges, they have a commission that. Uh, Vets those who are candidates for judges for, say, the Court of Appeals, for, for what I'm a part of, the Court of Appeals, the Supreme Court. We, through the, the merit selection process, vet these, these people, um, their backgrounds and determine if they are good enough to be presented to the governor. And, uh, through this very small select few, uh, the governor will decide which one will, um, you know, if this person will be appointed a judge to, say, the Supreme Court of of um uh, of Arizona which is our highest court system yeah. in our state um uh, so for state law that is really one of the most impactful like bodies that you can be a part of. And I'm saying I am an MC from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm a rapper. I'm in this space. It is possible to do these things. Yeah. So I like listening to you talk, man. <laughs> you, you be doing your thing, right? I like that. Okay. Well um the uh these these positions and these titles again um for a person like me uh you have made it a lot more accessible I, again i mentioned earlier that i know some people who have run campaigns people who have been elected people who have lost elections i know people who have um really wanted to make changes and and on both sides believe it or not you know i have some friends that ran I had a friend that ran for it was attorney general Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a friend of mine. You know, it's crazy. He didn't make it and he is a he's conservative, he's a conservative individual. Yeah. But he ran with a million dollar campaign, million plus dollar campaign. Um, and, uh, so I know that there's oftentimes the, the bigger operations, but in terms of people who have been effective, you know, these people get the little flash, you know, there's six or eight people running for a position and they all, you know, 
end up with a debate at a library or something like that. Um, And then one person gets elected to do the job and then the other four or five people, you know, just return to their private sector lives or whatever. They go back to being whatever it is that they do. Hopefully they stay politically engaged. Hopefully. But what what I'm suggesting is that for folks who a don't want to run a huge campaign like that or B uh, maybe they're interested in doing something like that, but you know, there's nothing comes of it. Those sorts of people could look to you and see not only are you politically engaged, but you're actually making some changes and your political footprint is growing to the degree uh, or, or in, it's growing in such a way that you're actually to affect changes, not unlike a person who's run one of those huge campaigns. Um, your name is big like that. Not that people do this for their own name. But, you know, I, 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 who knows why people do what they do. All, all I'm concerned with is, are you a good person or are you trying to create policies and outcomes for people that are equitable for all communities? Um, but I do believe that there's more paths toward change and success in the political arena than just the traditional one, that monster that I right uh, yeah. outlined in the, in the first part of the show. Now, um, excuse me. The next thing I want to touch on is. This is Maggie B. Nowen, and we'll be right back with more Civic Cipher after a quick break. Hi, I'm Dr. Miranda Melcher, host of the Just Access podcast. We bring you amazing interviews from the world of human rights and access to justice, from Dunja Miatovic, Council of Europe Commissioner for Human Rights, to Liz Evenson, International Justice Director at Human Rights Watch. Whether you're a law student or legal professional, human rights activist, or just want to stay up to date on what's happening with the world, the Just Access podcast is your go-to for inspirational stories and fascinating discussions about the state of human rights today. Search for Just Access on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You mentioned the ACLU. Yeah. So let's lean into this a bit. Uh, Jacob Rayford, a.k.a. Rocky Tyrate, you are the VP of the ACLU of Arizona, and you are on the board for the ACLU National Committee in New York. So first off, let's start here. What does that mean? Uh, so I'm for the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, which is an uh hundred year old organization that uh, uh, through litigation work, through through legal work fights on behalf of those whose civil rights have been violated mm-hmm. throughout history. And, um, and this, by the way, this counts as far as I'm concerned as political engagement as well. Yeah. Yeah. I would say we, we I want to stress before I get in trouble, we are definitely, um, in politically impartial, a political organization. Right. It's just how things have developed over the past, you know, so, few or so odd years, things have been kind of politicized inadvertently when it comes to civil rights. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think of like reproductive rights, re- reproductive justice, abortion rights, things, that, you know, um, First Amendment rights, when it comes to like being able to film the police and things of that nature, those have become politicized. So mm-hmm. 
if you want to look at it from that stance, yeah, but we operate as a non-political party, uh, party. but, um, you know, the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, does um, is a historic organization um, that has shown up throughout history um, in advocacy for uh, civil liberty, um, in uh, fighting for people's civil liberty. And uh, throughout uh, the United States, there's various affiliates, um, and Arizona is no different. We have a very effective, very powerful affiliate and uh, we operate as our own organization, though we are in orbit of the national ACLU. But, you know, there's things that are specific to our community. So we have an American Civil Liberties Union of Arizona, of which I'm the vice president of. Yeah, man. So listen, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about how you are international with the bars, you know what I'm saying? And national and regional with the bars. But also, you know, VP of, you know, the ACLU Arizona, you know, board, um, and then obviously on the board for the, or am I saying this right? VP of the ACLU of Arizona and on the board for the ACLU National Committee yep. in New York, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm on the national so, board. So, but, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? You're yeah. doing all and, and everything else that we've outlined in today's show and, uh, your platform, your brand, your presence has been elevated and your effectiveness in sort of creating change and offering um, alternative paths toward a more equitable society. um, You've been very effective toward that end. And so I want to take a moment and talk about one such incident. So I'm going to do another reading, if I may. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about filming the police. You mentioned it a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that for a bit. All right. Uh, I'm going to read from the Associated Press. This is based in Phoenix, Arizona, but obviously the implications spread well beyond the state of Arizona, even to your state. But it just happened to take place here. And a person at the helm of that was the person to uh, my left here in the studio. All right. Uh, The Associated Press. A federal judge has ruled that an Arizona law limiting how close people can get to recording law enforcement is unconstitutional. Well done, sir. Well done, Rocky. I appreciate this. We talked about this when when they passed this law on the show. We were like, oh, my God, Arizona's tripping. You can't stand more than I think it was like eight feet or something like that. Film the police. Film the police. Um, And they were trying to use it to engage police to be able to arrest more people who were filming them in their wrongdoing. And so uh, I want to finish reading this because I do want your full response. Um, And I got to be mindful of the clock here. So let me hear you. All right. Um, All right. The recording law and oh, sorry, recording law enforcement is unconstitutional. Okay, citing infringement against a clearly established right to film the police doing their jobs. The ruling uh, from U.S. District Judge John J. Tucci permanently blocks enforcement of the law that he suspended last year. All right, the Republican-backed law was signed by former Republican Governor Doug Ducey in July 2022. But enthusiasm for the restrictions faded and legislators refused an opportunity to defend the law during an initial court suspension. Republican State Senator John Kavanaugh, who sponsored the measure, has said he was unable to find an outside group to defend the legislation. The law would have made it illegal to knowingly film police officers at eight feet, two and a half meters, like I mentioned, or closer if the officer tells the person to stop and on private property. Sorry, and on private property, an officer who decides that someone is interfering or that the area is unsafe could have ordered that person to stop. 
filming, even if the recording was being made with the owner's permission. Yeah. The law, oh, sorry, quote, law prohibits or chills a substantial amount of First Amendment protected activity and is unnecessary to prevent interference with police officers given other Arizona laws in effect, Tucci ruled. A coalition of media groups and the ACLU successfully sued to block the law. Yeah. So, as the vice president of the ACLU, give us your thoughts. First, I want to say um, thank you very much to um, our not only the the legal team here um, in Arizona, but a legal team nationally. Um, so, big big shout out to Ben Rundall, Jerry Keenan, KM Bell, um, and in. You know, even in terms of not only this, but other cases that they're currently involved in as well, such as the uh, one around the Fund for Empowerment, the, the mistreatment of the in-house community. So that involves nas- uh, national um, legal legal counsels such as uh, Scout Katowicz and uh, Leah Watson from ACLU National. But um, this just uh, really speaks to the importance of engagement from our organizations um, around these issues that impact our abilities to exercise our First Amendment right, you know, our civil liberties. And uh, so when it comes to this specific case, I want to first extend my um, appreciation for our legal team that was able to facilitate this and um, the trust that we have between um, our board at the ACU of Arizona and our legal staff, because that allowed me the comfort of being able to um, put everything down in writing in terms in terms of i'm starting to get emotional like the declaration which recounts everything that we experienced in 2020 yeah and because of that that was then weaponized against this heinous attempt at undermining our civil liberty and uh you know there's no choice but to move forward uh me my i was the person who put my experiences down as the declaration and really the person um, outside of the ACLU and the media conglomerates that were pushing against this heinous action and whatnot. So, I mean, that all of us working in, in concert resulted in just an amazing victory. And as we see, this is not something that's so absurd that it can't happen because there's so many crazy things that are taking place now. Sure. And to be completely honest, had we had all not collaborated, that probably would have gone through because there's so many insane things that are taking place. We have somebody running for uh, a president who is being hit left and right, uh, like with indictments and collecting all the indictments from different states like Thanos's rings and stuff like that. It is totally possible. And I feel that with us working in concert, we secure that victory. Listen, so. man, um, I, I think that I, and I know that there are more uh, victories and more stories here, but I think that the conversation that we've had today where we start at the beginning, at least of our story, we know each other being on the radio together, having you come up on the show, drop some bars, yeah, that sort yeah, of stuff yeah. um, to obviously 2020 when we're, you know, out on the streets with the bullhorns and organized marching together. My, yeah. or my sons are out there with us, you know, just showing I've, love I've. and, you know, showing love in front of all those people, you know, yeah. and showing solidarity in front of all those people, because often enough you and I were, you know, toward the front lines or really at the front lines of those things, not unintentional, you know, for me at least. Yeah. And, um, to now where you're holding these positions, um, you're creating these changes and one such change that we can point to today, which, uh, has implications, national implications, um, and establishes a bit of like case precedent. And, you know, I think that, you know, you mentioned the ACLU argued 
that, you know, this is a violation of civil, civil liberties. These are, you know, public servants. Yeah. They're performing their duties, uh, right. using public funds and using our money. Yeah, exactly. And on and on. And I, you know, the, the way that the case was made is very easy to make the case in other places. If there are attempts to, um, uh, prevent people from filming the police yeah. and you got to imagine. Well, I just want to say real quick, that's a direct response to the protest that we did. So we were so effective that the, you know, some of these conservative lawmakers are like, okay, well, we're going to write a law that says you guys can't film police since you want to talk about what we're doing to the community. Yeah. yeah. So like, that's a direct result of the actions that we, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. So I I don't imagine that um, police would push back against something like that unless there was something to fear. I don't imagine police would push back against something like that unless they opposed consequences, uh, right. unless they opposed reform, unless they opposed um, the facts somehow. Opposing facts, I guess, is a thing people can do. Um, but the facts are that, you know, black and brown bodies are mistreated at the hands of police yeah. at a disproportionate rate than our white brothers and sisters. Not to say that they don't suffer at the hands of the police as well. Um, police misconduct is a very real concern for people that look like you, me, and, and our children or future children. Um, and that if we are going to be compelled to pay taxes and we are going to be compelled to uh, participate in a society with, uh, which grants police so much power and right. gives them a device to carry on their purpose, on their person, whose only purpose is to end a life. I'm talking about a gun that, that device, the only that's on their designated side, that's the on designation side for that is yeah. to, to end a life. It yeah. Is, it, you don't carve wood with it. You don't make dinner the with the one it. that's on their dominant side yeah. that they're trained to instinctively go for instead yeah. of their taser. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. That, that's to end that a life. That yeah. one. So yeah. if we're going to give these folks this type of power, um, to ask for a modicum of count- accountability, to ask for, uh, a bit of, uh, leeway to capture the events to help us tell our stories and substantiate our claims is not unreasonable however when you see the pushback you recognize that the resistance to what is absolutely logical uh that resistance is real yeah and it is people who hold elected office. It's people who are politically engaged. It's people who are active in the political arena or in their communities or however you want to say this. It's those people that are the real thin black line, we'll call it in, in our case specifically, but you know, our brown, indigenous, LGBTQIA plus, AAPI, you know, on and on and on. Native, you know, all, all of us who we'll call it the Rainbow Coalition. And indeed, our uh, white brothers and sisters, our Caucasian brothers and sisters who have been affected by some of these systemic issues, um, political engagement of good people who recognize that there is a more equitable world on the other side of that political engagement. Those are the people that really make the change. And so to that end, I appreciate you popping in being a living, breathing example of that. And of course, this particular instance because as i mentioned when this when the news broke you know q and i were like oh my god you can't film the police you know and we talked about on this show we've talked about um 
these maneuvers that police will do, you know, okay, a, a person is getting arrested or apprehended or being questioned or something like that. And there's a couple of police there. And then the police will drive their vehicle uh, the you know, those big SUV police SUVs, they'll drive the vehicle in between the person filming and the person being yeah, detained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they will block them with their bodies. You know, hey, you guys can't be here. I, you know, well, I'm trying to film. Well, you can't be here. You know, and they'll just stand in the way. And you've seen them. It's, it's accountability and intimidation. Yeah, so so yeah. Case, case in point, like when we uh, won that case, um, not too long after that, I started receiving, you know, harassment calls from private numbers and sure, death threats sure. and things of that nature. Like, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and it's, these are things that I totally forgot about because we haven't had that experience since 2020, you yeah. know, and all sorts of nonsense that came from that. But, you know, it's various levels of intimidation factors that in, in ways to obstruct us from impede us from being able to exercise our right and hold people accountable that we pay for with our tax dollars. And yeah. And I think that that, uh, above all else is, the best way to look at it, you know, we're paying with tax dollars. And so it's up to us to hold these people accountable and to define what their outcomes should be and what their objectives should be. This is, they don't participate in free market capitalism. So there is no alternative to policing that will win out because it, it gets, you know, more patronage. This is it. We're paying with it with tax dollars. And this is kind of the best that we, uh, this is the best way to engage in the process. I, I do want to say that um, I know we're running out of time, but a good alternative is what's being exercised with our advocacy, um, uh, advocacy movement with the uh, alternative to police program called the Neighborhood Organized Crisis Assistance Program, which is for uh, constructing a first responder department that houses behavioral health, substance abuse, you know, house community, victimless, nonviolent dispatches. That's something we have been pushing since around uh, the end of 2020. Okay. And uh, actually, the city of Tempe is incorporating some of these ideas into their care seven and hope program right now uh, so a good alternative is to create a new first responder department it is completely possible to do it um, there are myriad types of dispatches that your law enforcement agency just doesn't want to take and doesn't have the capacity when it comes to work culture to be, be able to engage with in the first place so a good alternative is that and we can always talk about that another time okay uh, where can folks get information um, so you can um, google something yeah do google no cap neighborhood organized crisis assistance program, uh, Google, uh, cahoots, uh, white bird clinic. Uh, that's probably the best route because that is where some of these ideas came from in the first place. Take that center that around what your community needs and create a first responder system through those processes. So I right. think, yeah. All right. Perfect. So, um, with that in mind, it is past time for the way black history fact. We're going to get into this real quick. So stay with me. Today's way black history fact is sponsored by underground beach club from the streets to the beach for the latest in beachwear. visit undergroundbeachclub.com. All right. Black people were denied vanilla ice cream in the Jim Crow South, except on independence day. Michael T. Twitty, uh, wrote this and this comes from the guardian by custom rather than by law. Black folks were best off if they weren't caught eating vanilla ice cream in public in the Jim Crow South, except the narrative always stipulates on the 4th of July. I heard it from my father growing up myself and the memory of that all but unspoken rule seems to be unique to the generation born between World War One and World War Two. But if Maya Angelou hadn't said it in her classic autobiography, I know why the cage bird sings, I doubt anybody would believe it today. People in stamps used to say that the whites in our town were so prejudiced that a Negro couldn't buy vanilla ice cream except on on the fourth. Other days, you had to be satisfied with chocolate. Vanilla ice cream flavored with a Nautil spice indigenous to Mexico, the cultivation of which was improved by an enslaved black man named Edmund 
albius on the colonized reunion island in the indian ocean now predominantly grown on the largest island of the african continent madagascar and served wrapped in the conical invention of a middle eastern immigrant was the symbol of the american dream that is pure white sweetness was then routinely denied to the grandchildren of the enslaved was a dream deferred indeed what makes the vanilla ice cream story less folk memory and more truth is that the terror and shame of living in the purgatory between the civil war and the civil rights movement was often communicated in ways that reinforced to children what the rules of life were and what was in store for them if they broke them my father again this is michael t twitty reading this he says my father for instance first learned the rules when he first visited south carolina with my grandfather in the 1940s in our family's home county of lancaster daddy asked the general store owner if he could buy some candy and ice cream referring to the white man as sir the store owner promptly grabbed my father by the collar and yelled at him in the presence of my grandfather then informed the elder man you better teach this little n-word to say yasa boy sir ain't good enough my grandfather grabbed his son and sped off the late poet audrey lord had a similar narrative to angelo's in her own autobiography sammy a new spelling of my name she visited washington dc with her family as a child around independence day and her parents wanted to treat her to vanilla ice cream at a soda shop they were rebuffed by the waitress and refused service she expressed disappointment as her, at her family and sisters for not decrying the act as anything but anti-american she summed up the event the waitress was white the counter was white and the ice cream i never ate in washington dc that summer i left childhood was white and the white heat of and the white pavement and the white pavement and white stone monuments of my first washington summer made me sick to my stomach for the rest of the trip why were black people allowed vanilla ice cream on the 4th of july why then after all in 1852 frederick Douglass Douglas rallied against the idea of celebrating Americans independence when blacks did not have their full God-given freedom. Quote, what do the what to the American slave is your 4th of July? Asked Douglas of his audience when invited to speak in commemoration of the day. I answer a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which is a constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty and unholy license, your national greatness, swelling vanity, your sounds rejoicing sounds of rejoicing sorry are empty and heartless your denunciations of tyrants brass fronted impudence your shouts of liberty and equality hollow mockery your prayers empty and your and heartless uh your your sermons and thanksgivings with all your religious parade and solemnity are to him more bombast fraud deception and piety and hypocrisy a thin veil to cover up crimes which would disgrace a nation of savages. Was that somehow the purpose of allowing the denied ice cream cone? What is a pacifier? Was it a message that to us, as long as we obeyed the rules, we could still be occasionally rewarded with just enough to keep us patriotic and loyal? But perhaps it's pointless to ask for more context. The period during which African-Americans were not allowed to eat vanilla ice cream tells us a lot about where this memory is located in time, a period of great progress driven by black Americans themselves. It was a time when our forefathers fought for this country and when our foremothers organized marches to protest lynching, when the mass migration from the South to the North took place and when labor organizations became vehicles for early pressures for civil rights. Um, for black life in America, the period 
from being born at the end of Reconstruction through the full entrenchment of Jim Crow was firmly on its way out. That period of time also represented a closing of the gates of immigration from Europe, the slow rise of the United States as a world power, and the increasing unification of the idea and principles of whiteness. In 1910, for instance, white did not even did not mean Italian, Jewish, Greek, Polish, or any variety of other ethnicities we now unequivocally associate with privilege. It was instead still a term largely reserved for the old Americans, those of Northwest Western European stock, but that changed at least for some of the Europeans who wound up on America's shores. In the South in particular, a new ethnic white quickly did all they could to assimilate and then affirm their whiteness. To not do so was death, as demonstrated by the lynchings of Sicilians in Louisiana and the lynchings uh, the lynching of Leo Frank, who was Jewish in Georgia. In the pre-war decades, little things took on outsized meanings, and each was another way to differentiate between those who belonged and those who were barely tolerated. Perhaps the memory of being denied vanilla ice cream is not a literal memory for most. Memory is just commentary. There is fantastic power in this fa fascinating memory of Jim Crow life because it calls our attention to the deeper psychological consequences of legalized racism in American life. The racism of the time period was not, not just about dignity and self-esteem, it was embodied and mythologized in physical terms. So in a way, the denial of vanilla and its symbolic promise was not so bad after all. Indeed, satisfaction with chocolate is now emblematic of people of color being supported by and being self-sufficient in their own communities. Without this exact satisfaction in our own sense of beauty, worth, mind, and purpose, without having learned to live without vanilla, we would have never fought to change the world. And that is going to do us do it for us here on Civic Cypress. And once again, I'd That's like great. to thank you thank for you. tuning in. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. Big shout out to Q Ward, who will be back next week, <laughs> fresh off of his flight from Italy uh, to get down and dirty with us one more again. I'd like to thank you, of course, Rocky, Appreciate aka it. Jacob Rayford for uh, checking in with us. Um, do me a favor, drop your social medias and uh, any music or any tours or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I just got off tour. I just been at uh, the Space Coast Revenge tour over in Europe. So I just got back maybe about a week and a half ago. So that was great. Um, but yeah, more upcoming music uh, right around the corner. Stay tuned for that. But Rocky Tyrade, R-O-Q-Y-T-Y-R-A-I-D on all social media platforms for those wanting more things centered around political and advocacy work. That is Mr. J-A-C-O-B-R-A-I-F-O-R-D right. on and Twitter. And until next week, y'all, peace. Stepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show, get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this.